either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Good week at the movies if you're a gamer. If, if you're not a gamer like us. Well, it's still a good week. It's still a good week, and that's a good thing. We'll dig into the game, movies, and more. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. Let's start with the first game that we've never played. A charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embark on an epic quest to retrieve a lost relic, but things go dangerously awry when they run afoul of the wrong people. It's Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. We help the wrong person steal the wrong thing. We didn't mean to unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known. But we're gonna fix it. So how do we pull that off? Uh... Figure it out over a drink? Probably best. You need to... To give us a fighting chance. We're gonna need strength. You got this, right? Be warned. There is evil here. I'm glad he's on our side. But whatever happens. We'll be ready. What is it exactly that you bring to this? I'm a planner. I make plans. You've already made the plan, so... If the existing plan fails, I make a new plan. So you make plans that fail? No. He also plays the loot. Not relevant. I feel like we should say... We wanted badly not to see this movie. Right. There was one movie this week that I was I was very much looking forward to, and this isn't it. No. Uh, I, was, no. I was not looking forward to it at all. We actually were going to, we were going to, uh, 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 somebody who writes for us at MadWolf.com, Kat McAlpine, is a massive Dungeons and Dragons player, mm-hmm. and so we were like, hooray, we're not going to have to go, and somebody who knows what they're talking about will go. She couldn't do it because, and I swear to God this was true, she was playing Dungeons and Dragons. And here's the thing. This this is how little we knew about Dungeons and Dragons. And I was actually floored to find that this was true for you as well when we first met. Because back in 1982, the first time that I saw E.T., and there's that line where the two kids, the two brothers are fighting and they're yelling, zero charisma, zero charisma. For decades, I had no idea what that meant. No idea. Oh, no. I I thought it was some sort of just brotherly thing that they said. Yeah, I didn't know what it meant either. There was a documentary about, what was it about Dungeons & Dragons? What was it about? There was that movie called Zero Charisma about 10 years ago. Good one. And that's (laughs) how I knew. I had no idea for decades. I was a full-blown grown-up. We knew nothing about it, never played it. So we can't tell you how closely this movie fits with any storyline or any characters, none of that. No. But I can tell you that we both thought it was a ball. It was super fun. It was, you know, there have been two other unwatchably bad Dungeons & Dragons movies, at least two. The one is maybe Jeremy Irons' only bad performance in his decades on screen. And so it's another reason why we were sort of dreading this. But but the first thing that they get totally right is the tone. Yeah, the tone is great. It's directors John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. They're also writers along with Michael Gilio. And they pretty much take a Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. 
type of wink, wink tone. Let's not take ourselves too seriously. And that's, I think it's just right. Because they write comedies, yeah. right? They did Game Night and mm-hmm. they did the remake of Vacation. Yep. So, yep. you know. I think it's just the right tone. And they've got a good cast led by Chris Pine, who is just, uh, I've said it for years, he's he's just got such charisma. He does. And here he's got, I know he's done some some comedic work before, he's got some very good comic timing. He definitely does. With some of these. Because some of the lines, they're so... They're so obvious. You know it's coming. You know the line is coming. And when he he still gives it the right read, and it lands. Exactly. You know, so that starts right at the top. Also, he so he's a thief, and he's kind of partners with uh, Michelle Rodriguez, mm-hmm. and she brings the badassery, yes. as she does very well. She does. She's very convincing. Very convincing. And he just lets her do a lot of beating up mm-hmm. while he, he plays the loot. He does play the which loot. Which is also funny. <laughs> So anyway, they bust out of prison, and they're trying to retrieve, as the synopsis said, this lost relic. And part of it comes into play is that he can use this relic to help reunite him with his daughter. Right. Who he's been estranged with, and she's basically grown up under the care of this sort of politician guy, local mayor named Forge, played by—he's a cad, so who else is going to play him but Hugh Grant? Yeah, who's perfect. I mean, he's just—he's droll and hilarious in this role. So right away, after they break out of prison, they're on the run, and in this quest, they pick up a struggling sorcerer, let's put it that way, played by Justice Smith, and a shape-shifting druid played by Sophia Lillis. And there's your core four, and they go off and they battle these these fantastical beasts and, and, and all these locales and the dragons and everything. And so, yeah, it's that total, total setting that I that leaves me cold right. most of the time. But it's, it's fun, and yeah. it, it really strikes a good... Game playing aesthetic and game playing pace. There always seems to be like one of those power badges, you know, <laughs> that they get. The game players get. Oh, I got new powers and I'm moving on. You get that feeling. Yeah, it's it's well, it's a quest, yeah. and so it's set up well to mirror a game because you, you finish one adventure and that just means you got to turn and do the next harder adventure. And what I think you've left out that hot Bridgerton guy. <laughs> so and he's not, you know, the the trailer will make you think he's part of the core group. He's not. He's only in it tangentially because he's actually quite a heroic and noble knight and his very literal uh lack of irony is yes. part of the reason the movie is so funny. Yeah, that's uh Reggae Jean Page. Right. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And it, and We've it, never seen Bridgerton either. We haven't, no. But, I but just, we recognize him. Yes, and get the, I, I get the, especially from this movie and from when he was on Saturday Night Live, I get the kind of character he plays. Oh, yeah. And so this is they're having some fun with his own image. And yeah. that does, that really adds to the fun of it because then Chris Pine is kind of intimidated by it a little bit. Oh, this guy. And it, it's, it just adds to, even though he's not, like you say, part of the core four, he brings, when he comes in, the movie takes another fun turn. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it is funny because immediately Chris Pine dislikes him, perhaps because Chris Pine is very used to being the handsome man on screen. <laughs> so it's funny. No, I, they, you know, and I think that all of the characters have a great, you know, he and Michelle Rodriguez have a great, comfortable, lived in kind of a, a relationship, you know, yeah. a, a camaraderie that really comes across on screen, too. Yeah. The, the whole thing, there's the, just the, the vibe like we've said before, is is just right. Yes, it's going to remind you of Guardians of the Galaxy, that sort of thing, that sort of camaraderie and uh, knowing vibe. But I think it, it's to do it any other way, I think would have been a mistake. Well, especially for these filmmakers, because you point out what their what their resume is and how they how they they're sort of their comfort zone. But they really just hit it. 
we haven't talked yet to any really hardcore D&D fans of what they think. I would assume that they would like it, but I don't know. I don't know. If it, maybe if it strays too far, I don't know. But to all the buzz I'm hearing about it is, is nothing but positive, and uh, I'm sure they have more movies in mind um, for as a franchise thing. And I could definitely be on board because this is surprisingly fun mm-hmm. and only surprising because how much we didn't think it was going to be. Right. Uh, so for us and for non-gamers, you know, don't don't be afraid. Don't be scared off if, if like us, you know nothing about this world. I think you'll have fun with it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be a crowd pleaser. I really do. And it's all over the place at the uh, theaters this weekend. And it is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. And one more game playing movie. Uh, this one, though, for streaming. This one's on Apple TV. The story of how one of the world's most popular video games found its way to players around the globe. Businessman Hank, Hank Rogers, and Tetris inventor Alexei Pajnitov join forces in the USSR, risking it all to bring Tetris to the masses. This is Tetris. Hank, only ten other people in the world have seen what you're about to see. It's called the Game Boy. Package it with Tetris. Can you get us the rights? The Soviet Union had worldwide rights. Nothing gets out easily. I'm gonna go to Moscow. You're walking into a country that still considers America enemy numero uno. Okie dokie. This is the inventor of Tetris. Your game is brilliant. I'm gonna make you a millionaire. The most powerful man in Communist Party is watching you and your family. What the hell is going on? They're lying. Everybody's lying. The cavalry is coming. We don't have time. I have a plan. Not the bat. This movie is nuts. I would in a million years never have guessed. Right, because this one, when you say it's a game movie, it is, but it's not. Don't think of it as a this one is built around playing a game. This goes behind it's Tetris. Right, goes so I mean, it would be very scenes. hard to turn that into a movie. People love the game, though. I guess <laughs> this is another one that I've never played. But and, there's and no you've characters. It's just but who falling knows? bricks. We don't yeah? know. We it's don't the know. game world. We don't. Know. <laughs> but I had heard of it. I just never. Oh, sure. I just never played it. And this set takes us back to the late '80s when the game was first invented by this Russian worker bee on his off time. Just as some fun, some project. And then next thing you know, this game sales rep, uh, Hank, not Hank, Hank, <laughs> played by Taryn Edgerton, who's great again, sees it at a trade show. And just immediately he thinks it is the perfect game. And he wants to get the rights. He sees a gold mine. And he goes off and just bets his house, all his fortunes, his future as professional life on this game, and it turns into an incredible globe-trotting tale of intrigue and the Cold War espionage and the KGB and corporate uh, backstabbing and holy crap! I mean, it's they says it's based on a true story, so some of it I'm sure is fictionalized, but still, if even part of this is true, it's nuts. It's nuts. It's just nuts, and it's fun to follow as Edgerton creates this great character who's he's you know he's a shoot from the hip guy he's always got a pitch he's a salesman he likes to wear cowboy boots with his suits and he's got that sort of reputation that he's he's just going to go into russia and just try to talk to these people like what are you nuts <laughs> uh, and then how the russians react to to uh, the fact that there's these companies because he's also battling this multi-million dollar billion dollar corporation in america who says they already have the rights but do they and are they trying to put one over on the russians and they don't take kindly to that um, so it's just a crazy story. 
but it's really engaging and fun. I, w- I wouldn't call this a comedy, but they do get some some funny scenes in, mm-hmm. especially when he's over uh, in Russia and the, the head of this one big Russian company has all the players in different rooms uh, in the office building and is going from one room to one room playing them all against each other. And the guy, the guy that plays uh, the Russian businessman is just having just deadpan delight with it all, an actor named Oleg Stefan, and he's great, too. So there is some fun about it, but it's just such an engaging story, even if at the very end it becomes, it, it doesn't ruin it, but it becomes pretty tidy, pretty idealistic, and then the very end you're wondering if, if Ben Affleck and his crew get a credit because it's so close to Argo. Huh. In fact, by the end, the whole movie becomes sort of a mashup of, of pixels, remember that one? With Argo, because it's often presented in game-playing mode. There's pixelated frames, and you get that throwback 16-bit kind of feel to to some of the segments as they're going along a chase when they're chasing on a, maybe a car chase, and the car will smash into something, and it'll get pixelated. So it's got this weird sort of pixels meets Argo vibe because it becomes this tense story at at the end and how these people are going to turn out. And I guess the, the difference with Argo is most of us knew who how that was going to turn out before we saw the movie. We don't really know about about this one, but it's very reminiscent of Argo, but still it still it works. And uh, again, I think this is one for people that even if you're not involved with gaming, uh, it's still a crazy story. It absolutely is. And it's great nostalgia. I mean, if you if you love that 80s, that late 80s stuff and, and classic video games and some 80s jams, I mean, there's a <laughs> sing-along to the final countdown. How can you turn that down? And then Nintendo gets in, gets in the, the fight for this, and there's a scene where Hank gets to be one of the first few people to see the Game Boy, the mm. prototype Game Boy, and they treat that like some sort of 2001 discovery moment. So <laughs> they strike the right tone here as well. And it's a writer, Noah Pink, and the director is John S. Baird. And he did uh, Stan and, and Ollie. Ollie a few yeah. years ago, which was it's it very was good. I enjoyed yeah. that, yeah. So this is another winner. I think two video game winners in a row. This one, though, for streaming. So you want to hang out at home this weekend. It's on Apple TV, and it's, uh, it's a good one called Tetris. Next up is the one I was really looking forward to this weekend, a biopic of 1970s record producer Neil Bogart, co-founder of Casablanca Records. It's called Spinning Gold. You really spent all the $3 million Warners gave you as an advance. Actually, I spent $4 million. Just another day at the office. They love them when they see them. Why the hell can we get them to buy their records? Donna's not selling anywhere? I believed in Donna. And I knew what she could be. You're going head-to-head with Barry Gordy himself. This may be Casablanca's last chance. Lift off. Let's go. Every single bit of it. True story. Yeah, this movie... This movie had your name written all over it. It did, because you have to be a, a record nerd like me back in the late 70s to know who Neil Bogart was. I knew his name right away. I had a bunch of Casablanca records and albums. They were huge back in the day. And this was the story, his story. And he has a very interesting story. Um, and it was written and directed by Timothy Scott Bogart, yes, his son. And I was just so... So disappointed because it's really terrible. It's it's 
It's a mess. It's yeah. just a mess. Starting with the fact that all this music, all this great music, and I'm talking about Gladys Knight and Bill Withers and Parliament Funkadelic and, uh, and Kiss. Kiss and just go... All of that Donna music. Summer. Donna Summer. I want to hear it. I want to hear it pumping loud. We hear it, but it's it's not the real songs. No. Uh, it's recreated by the actors playing these parts. Nothing wrong with their voices. And some of them, uh, I know Jason Derulo plays um, Ron Isley. Uh, Wiz Khalifa plays George Clinton. And then there's some others that I know have, have had some success that I'm just not aware of that play uh, Donna Summer and Gladys Knight. Great voices, but it's not the same No, it's thing. not Gladys Knight. It's not Bill Withers. Yeah. And that's what you want to hear. It's what you want to hear, especially when he crafts this movie as sort of like sort of like a greatest hits album. Look at this. Look at all of these songs he was involved with. Boom, 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 boom. I want to hear those songs. Right. And then with Kiss, I understand well, right away when you see Kiss in the makeup, you, you realize that's not the real makeup. I think there's probably some trademark issues. Sure. I think Kiss owns that makeup. Okay, fine. I get it. But still, they, they present them as, as this incredible live act. And when we see them live, it's not incredible at all. Everything about the movie is so overly staged. The dialogue is so stagey. It's not real dialogue. It's dialogue that you remember after you have a conversation and you're in the car going, that's what I should have said. Yeah. I should have said that. That's that the perfect writing. line. Yeah. It's that sort of writing. Now, he tries to set it up to get away with it because he gives the movie sort of a, a rocket man he wants to do a Rocket Man thing, a fantastical break the fourth wall. Maybe I'm telling the truth. Maybe I'm not. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm playing fast and loose with the timeline. Okay, I can get that, except the fact that people came to Rocket Man knowing who Elton John was. Right. Very few people know who Neil Bogart was. Right. And you just you don't know why is he worthy of this sort of treatment. He tries to tell you, and, and nothing against the guy's story. I mean, he clearly thinks his dad was an incredible guy, and he has an incredible story. He does. It's worth telling. It should have been a documentary. Right. Because he turns his dad into a Forrest Gump kind of guy who had just every was just involved in every certain little aspect, famous aspect of a song you, you, from the woo-woos and Midnight Train to Georgia. Oh, he's responsible for that. True or not, it's just after a while, you're like, this guy, come on. this It's not like a real character mm-hmm. here. So as it just went on, it's just, it's just it's really a mess, and it's a shame because I was so you looking were. forward to this. I wanted this to work so much, and I still think the guy's life is worthy of a documentary. Make it real. Right. Make it real. And Can I, you imagine the soundtrack of that documentary? Oh, make it real, and I, I will watch that too, but this was just... Really, a, a just an incredible disappointment, uh, especially if you're if you're like me, and maybe this just music, this era right there, mid to late seventies, you know, even seventy three, seventy four to seventy nine is your sweet spot. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's really a shame because it uh, it could have been something that you crank up while you're watching it, but it's just it's just all over the place and a big disappointment. And Neil Bogart is played by a Jeremy Jordan, who was in. He's done a lot of TV acting. I'm not familiar with him. He was in the TV show Smash, so some musical stuff there. Really not that familiar with him, but you'll recognize Michelle Monaghan is in this. Um, Jason Isaacs, Dan Fogler. Uh, so you'll see a couple of people there. Uh, Michael Ian Black in a ridiculously fake mustache. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay Farrow. Yeah. Love to see Jay Farrow. He plays one of the record guys. And Chris Redd plays um, legendary DJ Frankie Crocker. So you'll see some faces. And there's talent in the cast. There is. It's just a, it's, it's the mess of a story. Out in theaters this weekend called Spinning Gold. 
Will it stay in theaters for a horror flick? A rookie police officer willingly takes the last shift at a newly decommissioned police station in an attempt to uncover the mysterious connection between her father's death and a vicious cult. This one's called Malum. You told us that Captain Lauren's daughter would be joining the department. Yes, sir. I just want to work where my father worked, even if it's for one night. He was a hero. Until he wasn't, you know. Lanford Police Department. You don't know what happened. But your father was no saint. Your daddy started something very important. Tonight we're going to finish it. The Temple Baron will bring forth the Low God. And I will be Redeemer. Writer, director Anthony de Blasi sort of revisits his 2014 film Last Shift, which was a gem, a gem of a low-budget indie horror film. I know a lot of people are looking forward to this movie because of that movie. Yeah, and uh, and I think that you will be surprised and happy because what he does with this movie, I mean, it's not as if he, you know, it's not like he... He pumped, you know, $800 million more million in it. It doesn't get bigger. You know, it still has that claustrophobic feel. Essentially, the story is, um, well, the story is assault on Precinct 13 plus The Shining if you just smear it all up with uh, Helter Skelter. Okay. That's what you have there. I'm in. That's mm-hmm. what I want to see. Right. And um, a young uh, a police cadet, it's her first night on the job, and she is taking the shift as they're closing down the old precinct. So the new precinct is up and running. She just needs to sit out by herself overnight at the last precinct before they close it down. And she is played by Jessica Sula, who you might remember. She was one of the girls in Split um, from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And she just has, right away, I'm like, I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen that girl before. Yeah. yeah. Um, she does a good job because it's, I mean, she really shoulders most of the film. And uh, and she does a, a great job. And so, you know, the whole film is basically just she's alone in this creepy, empty precinct with these echoing halls and what's going on here and there. And, you know, but she, she took the shift because uh, her father... Uh, is the reason that she became a cop, and his last shift was in this building, and she just wants to work in the same place as him, even if it's just for one day. Of course, his last shift, well, it did not go well. <laughs> and he'd been a hero up until that last shift, and now right. everybody hates him. Yeah, And so, you know, she's got some animosity coming toward her from the police department, who has actually not worked with her yet, because this is her first shift, and uh, and she'll so she'll call the dispatch every so often at the new precinct just because crazy stuff keeps happening. So she's got this one sort of voice that she can reach out to. But other than that, she's alone in the building. It is effectively creepy. It really is. It's got a descent into hell vibe about it. It is bloody as hell. The practical effects are great. The creature design is Love great. It. Love it. It's mean. It's quick. It's just thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, it's uh, this one is just a quick uh, ninety-two minutes. Mm-hmm. Ninety-two minutes in and out. I yeah, love lean and I, mean. Let's I get know. it done. That's what this is. Let's get in there and blood yeah. some things up mm-hmm. and and get out. So yeah, and this one is in theaters. So especially if you've been looking for this, uh, looking out for this after uh, last shift, or even if you're not, right? Just want some new slice of horror. You got it right here. It's in theaters this weekend. Recommend it called Malum. Well, how about the new one from Quentin Depew? And if you've seen his movies, right away you say that name and you know what's coming. <laughs> Some nuttiness. This is comedy, sci-fi, horror with a group of vigilantes called the Tobacco Force. 
It's now falling apart, and to rebuild team spirit, their leaders suggest that they meet for a week-long retreat before returning to save the world. This is called Smoking Causes Coughing. Well, let's run down some Quentin Depew classics. My all-time favorite, Rubber. Yes. About a killer tire. Yeah. Loved it. Uh, his most recent one was Mandibles, Mandibles. about uh, yep. two sort of really dumb guys who befriend a giant housefly. There's also the one about the jacket Deer skin. Deer skin. Oh, yeah. That's a classic. <laughs> That's a great one. He's just not, it's just absurdist. Yeah. And then just crank up the absurdity. And boy, this one... This one really does, because you've got this group of people. They look like the Power Rangers. Yeah, they do. But they're not kids. Um, in fact, one of them is full-on middle-aged, oh, yeah. at, at least. And they go around, and they, you know, their names are like methane and, and this, these different types of chemicals that are found in cigarettes, and they use those powers to, like, kill monsters, yeah. which they do in the opening scene, and right away you're into the nuttiness. And their their leader is some sort of rat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, and, he, and he, he, he telephones them yeah. in this ridiculous van. It's not, it's like a, you know, it's like a, a, it's like a screen and he appears and that's how they converse. And so the van and everything in it is like straight out of like 1981, mm-hmm. but it's not 1981 no. because the, you know, the, the passersby are taking photos on their phone. Yeah. And yeah, and he's a he's a rat puppet. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's got this oozing green always, stuff in his mouth. It's disgusting. And half the time when they're talking to him, he's got some woman in the background <laughs> that he's clearly just gotten out of bed with. Yes. and you're like, what's going oh, yeah. on? <laughs> oh yeah, there is actually there's the lengthy kissing sequence oh, that I is know. the nastiest part of the whole I movie. Know. It's it's crazy. So yeah, they go to this. Re- he sends them the chief rat sends them to this retreat. They got to get their you get their act together because they got another big mission coming up. And that's really all it is. They're at this retreat. So don't expect all that because right at the very beginning you see them battling this monster. But it then that takes a holiday because all it is concerned with is what's happening at this retreat. Yeah, it is a funny is a funny idea because they have to get together. They have to get the team back on because they're going to face this intergalactic power. And so we don't see the intergalactic power. We don't see that the big. We just see them in this boring like work retreat, and they they sit around this campfire and they each tell stories. Right. And so and so the whole movie becomes a framing device like a horror anthology, mm-hmm. which right. in itself is very funny. And then the, the stories that they tell they're also absurd. Um, and not scary. They're meant to be scary campfire stories. They're weird. They're not scary. The whole thing. But, you know, absurdist films are, well, they're like that. I yeah, mean, because each time someone starts to tell a story, they the reason they tell it is, is, oh, I got a scary one for you. Yeah. And then they go off and you see this story unfold. And they're just, yeah, everything is just so weird. Talking fish. Yeah. And you name it. <laughs> But that's what... He does. That is what he does. You know, and, and and why? Like, what is the point of it? I think it's a comment on entertainment, on uh, the world itself. Is Which he's um, done before. You know, in a lot of ways, Rubber was like that, too. Yeah. I mean, rubber was like, is a story, do you need an audience for yeah. it? I mean, check out Rubber, by the yeah, way. Oh, highly yeah. recommend that. Yeah, but, highly so recommend it's, Rubber. I, even though you could probably, 
go in some other directions as well, I think that interpretation is as good as any. Deerskin as well is, is yeah. very similar because it's he winds up making a movie. Yeah. I think a lot of it is, in a way, reflective of him trying to tell stories and whether that's just an idiotic purpose in your life, especially when they're not consumable, his films are not. <laughs> and that, I think, has a lot to do with this because obviously it's not... It's sort of an, it's not exactly an anti-superhero movie. It's more of sort of like an anti-consumerism movie. Whatever it is, you're not going to get bogged down in that detail or the themes of it because no. it's just weird and entertaining. And part of part of the fun, I think, is, I mean, if you the actors themselves are some of the biggest names in French film today and they're all just dressed like Power Rangers yeah, the whole movie. exactly. And they're all in. <laughs> so if you're used to his style and you enjoy it, by all means, check this out. If you're not, it may throw you a little bit. Yeah. And then if you do like it, then seek out his other films. Oh, yeah. I will say this is probably not one of my favorites of his, but still, he's a guy that I want to see everything that he's doing. Absolutely. And this one is available now. It's in uh, select theaters. Smoking causes coughing. And next up is a documentary narrative hybrid telling the story of Doug McCorkle, a buttoned-up, mild-mannered corporate accountant. After retiring at age 60, Doug put his marriage and life savings on the line to chase his wildest dream. This is called I'm an Electric Lampshade. Who are you, Doug? Well, I used to sit here and just fantasize about doing this. And I kept telling you, you could do it. Yes, you did. I kept saying, you could do that. Right. Age is not the limitation that you think it is. Who doesn't look much like a corporate accountant anymore? Love that title. Uh, conjures up a lot. And this is from writer-director John Clayton Doyle. Yeah, so a, a documentary narrative hybrid. So this guy's a real guy. He is a real guy. And it's a real story. Yes, it is. Uh, Christy Robb reviewed this movie for us. She gave it four stars. She's It's the, her favorite movie she has seen so far this year. It's nuts, and it's kind of, you know, a celebration of uh, perfectly average middle-aged white men. Which I don't know that we need that. But at the same time, you know, there's also something just fascinating about it and about what it is that this perfectly average man decides in his 60s to pursue. It's yeah. nuts. It's the- it's exciting. It's fun. It's weird. And there is definitely a story there. Oh, for uh, sure. I get Absolutely you about this celebrating the, the average normal white guy. But this is a, a story that it will surprise you mm-hmm. what his ambition is has been for all these years as he's just doing his daily job as an accountant. And it's not not like his wife, she knew it all this time. In fact, she's encouraging him. Mm-hmm. To, you can do this. You mm-hmm. can do this. And so it's fascinating. So it's not like he wants to go off and, and, and do something that, that's common um, or something that, well, he wanted to be an athlete. Well, those days are over. Right. Uh, even though he's 60 years old, he can still do it, and he still does it. Yeah. So it's, there is a story here, and, and it's fascinating. And by all means, check out Christie's review it's up now at uh, madwolf.com. Yeah, four stars out on VOD now called I'm an Electric Lampshade. All right, well, the schlocketeer, a little under the weather. Laryngitis this week, so no go. Get better. Be well. We'll talk to you next week. And speaking of next week, we got one big one coming that we saw. We see that tomorrow night or in a couple days. Anyway, the new one that's getting a lot of great buzz from Ben Affleck as a director starring with Matt Damon, Air. Also, 
paint, which does look like it could be pretty funny. Yeah, that's Owen Wilson as kind of a Bob Ross sort of guy. And more game, more, <laughs> more game movies. Super Mario Brothers movie. Have you ever played Super Mario? No. I have not. So, wow. When are they going to make the Frogger movie? I would, I've never I'm played. In. I, I, I don't play video games. I never did play video games. Man, so I was the For Frogger. a little while, um, I played the one where you shoot zombies, um, but that was it. I was the Frogger King back in the day. Let's get Ooh. going on a, let's get going on a Frogger movie. <laughs> but uh, also the Five Devils. Um, one Day as a Lion. Handful of Water. The Portable Door. And balloon animals. All right. That's all next week. But what about this week? Are you in on Dungeons and Dragons? Tetris? Uh, horror with Malum? What do you think? Uh, keep the conversation going. We always love that. You can find us easily on Twitter. That's at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can get all of our written reviews and also our horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. Brand new episode dropping very soon. That's right. By the way, um, all at madwolf.com. So keep in touch. Enjoy the movies. Until next time, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.